Well, good morning, everyone. I hope you're doing really, really well. Uh, thanks for being here as we dive into another part of this, I think, really important series called The God Jesus Knows. Uh, if you've been here for the last few weeks, you know that what we've basically been doing is we've been taking a little bit of time looking at some of the commonly held beliefs about God. And I mean, there are so many commonly held beliefs about who God is and what He's like. And what I've realized in my life and what I've realized in other people's lives as well as I've spoken with them is that our understanding of God, like, like, think about this, what you think about God, like, what you believe about who He is truly impacts so much of your life. Like, what, if you think He's a certain way, you will respond, you will act, you will live, you will do, you will do relationships, you'll do marriage, you'll do decisions, all these things. That's such a big deal, what you think about God. And there are so many commonly held beliefs about God, and some of them are just commonly held beliefs about Him, not because it's who He is, just because they're commonly held. There are so many beliefs about God out there, and so what we're doing in this series is we're going, okay, okay, what are some of the commonly held beliefs? Where do I stand with some of those? Do I believe them? Do I hold them? And then what we've been doing is going, okay, okay, Christianity teaches this beautiful idea that God didn't want to leave us in the dark with who he was, that Jesus came, God came in a body to express who God is. And so we've got this amazing tool that we can take if we're trying to understand who God is, we can literally go, hey, this commonly held belief, how does it line up with the God Jesus knows? Because if it lines up with God, Jesus knows, then, then clearly, according to Christianity, God wanted us to, to believe that about him. But if it doesn't, then we can actually ask those questions. So we've been asking questions, what is it that I believe about God? What do we believe about God? And how does my beliefs line up with the belief of who God is according to who Jesus said he was. So that's what we've been doing. Today, I wanna look at another big, 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 big idea. And it's so big, in fact, actually, um, just this last week, I bumped into this idea like very viscerally with two different families. And it's amazing to watch how this idea impacts the way these families operate, how they see faith, how they see their, 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 their church experience, and even how they do relationships. And it's an unfortunate and an, a very... I think sad understanding of who God is, and yet so many people hold this. So I'm excited to dive in, um, and I wanna kinda wrestle with this a little bit this morning. To get us on the same page and to kind of explain what this idea about God is today, I'm gonna ask a very blunt question, okay? So kinda hold on, we're gonna start really blunt. This question's coming out, it'll get us on the same page and then we'll wrestle with it as we go. Okay, you ready for the question? Here it is. How does our sin affect God's love for us? How does our sin affect God's love for us? Now, I don't know how that question lands with you. Maybe you have grown up in church, and I mean, that could go two ways, you know, when you've grown up in church. Maybe you've grown up in a church experience where it's all about judgment and condemnation and sin, sin, sin focus, sin focus. And so when I ask a question to do with sin and how God loves you, oh, maybe that brings up some feelings, some tension, some, some anxiety, some feelings of guilt and shame, and I know this, and oh my gosh, oh, do we really have to talk about this? I don't know how that lands with you. And if that does land that way, I get it. I totally get it. That's such a reality. That's such a big deal in, in some religious circles. But maybe for you, I ask the question, how does our sin affect God's love for us? And you kind of, a, a verse comes to mind, and it's like, okay, I know that God is like this. So I just kind of skirt by that question. 
And I think that's what I've done a lot of times with questions that I've asked about myself. I kind of just skirt by it because I've got one verse, you know, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Cool, I go with that. Then I'm like, whatever, let's just move on. But sometimes when we just skirt by a question like that, then all we're doing is acknowledging a theological concept that we've got somewhere in our minds, but we don't ask the question of what actually happens on the inside of us. Because sometimes we have theological concepts because we can quote a verse or something, but then when life happens, when something happens, when I mess up, when something goes wrong, I really discover what I actually believe. And so that question, I think, is really important. How does our sin affect God's love for us? And I found for me, I had to dig into that and find out what do I really feel what do I really think about that? How do I really answer that question? Not just theoretically, not just theologically. How do I really answer that question? How does our sin, how does my sin affect God's love for me? James Bryan Smith, the guy who wrote the book, uh, The Good and Beautiful God, which kind of inspired this series, um, he says this, that a dominant narrative among Christians and non-Christians alike is that God only loves us when we're good. That God only loves us when we're good. Many people live with the assumption that God's love is conditional. Our behavior, it's assumed, determines how God feels about us. Consequently, God's love is constantly in flux. It's as if God were kind of on a swivel chair, kind of, you know, those ones swiveling around and basically looking at us smiling when we keep our minds and our hearts and our hands pure. Wow, you're wonderful. But the minute we sin, God turns his back because he, ah. The only way to turn God back to us is by resuming our good behavior. And this is a very commonly held belief. God only loves us when we're good. That's how, he only feels love. Yeah, maybe like he is love, so he has to love, but he doesn't really like, doesn't really feel love when we sin. How does that land with you? How do you think sin affects God's love for us? And again, just to dig a little beyond the theoretical, theological answer that we typically give to see what's actually in our hearts. Let me ask a few more questions. Do you think God only loves you when you're good? Think about that. Take a moment. Do you think God only loves us when we're good? Let me ask you this. How do you feel when you mess up? When you do something wrong, and you know it's wrong, how do you feel? Like, what, what comes up in you? How do you feel? What do you think God feels when you mess up? How do you feel when you fall for some temptation and you know, you know better? You know better, but you just plowed through it for whatever reason, emotion, something, temptation, it was too, you just went straight through it and you did it and you know God, you know, doesn't approve of that. You know that it's not the right thing. You know it's sin. How do you feel? How does, how does that affect God's love for you when you just literally did it, when you knew you shouldn't, you know better, and you did it anyway? How does, how does that make you feel? And what do you think that does with God? How does that make him feel? Let me, let me ask another question, kind of look at it from a different angle, because sometimes looking at it from a different angle helps us know how we really feel. When someone else sins, when someone else that you know Maybe someone close to you, maybe someone in the family, maybe someone not close to you, maybe someone you don't like, whoever. But when someone close to you sins and, and they're not repenting and they're not changing, what do you think God feels about them? How, how does their unrepentant life affect God's love for them? 
<laughs> These are important questions, I think, because they reveal what we think God thinks about us, and they reveal what we think, sin, how that affects God's love for us. I know for me, I've bumped into this question a bunch, and I've, when, when I've made mistakes, when I've made decisions that weren't just mistakes, they were actually decisions, and I did the wrong thing, when I've done that, the immediate feeling that comes up in me is, oh my gosh, God is so disappointed in me. It's the immediate feeling that comes up. And my behavior sort of, I think my behavior makes him recoil from me and maybe turn his back going, ah, a little bit of a disgusted look. Like, seriously, what's wrong with you? What, really? And that feeling sort of comes up. And then those words that I grew up with kind of comes flying into my head again that say, sin separates from God. Sin separates from God. And, and okay, sure, because the verse says that he still loves me, but again, I don't think he likes me much, and I don't think he really wants to be with me, and I don't think he really kind of feels anything good to me. And I better fix this thing really, really quick. I better say sorry, I better do something right, because if I don't, then I can't, I'm gonna mess up his love for me. And I don't know how many times that idea has been taught that sin separates from God, so therefore our sin impacts God's love for us. Again, I don't know where you land with this question, but I think it's a really important question. And it's actually a question that Jesus answers. And so today I wanna to take a little bit of time and look at this idea of how does our sin affect God's love for us. And just like we've been doing throughout the series so far, the way we're gonna do it is go with this amazing opportunity that we have to look at Jesus. Because again, if ever you bump into something about God and you're not too sure, ask the question, how does this line up with the God Jesus knows? How is it, is it consistent with the God Jesus knows? So what we're gonna do is we're gonna just quickly look at a bit of what Jesus did and what Jesus said and answer this question. Okay, so how does our sin affect God's love for us? How does it happen? And as you're gonna find, as you look at the eyewitness accounts, what you're gonna find when you look at what Jesus said and look at what Jesus did, it's incredible. You will find that the love, I'm you know, giving away the answer at the end, like right now. The love of the God Jesus knows was very, very clearly unaffected by the sin of people. As you look at Jesus, as you look at what he said and did, the love of the God Jesus that he knows was very clearly unaffected by the sin of people. So let's explore a little bit of this and see some of the eyewitness accounts. I wanna tell you a few moments because you can't look very far and, and, and miss the fact that you know, it wasn't just clear. Jesus, if you look at his life, it's not just clear. It's overwhelmingly clear that Jesus loved and accepted and hung out with all kinds of sinners. And, and like at that time, if you walk around like categorizing people as sinners now, you're weird and judgmental and it's weird. In that world, there was a whole category of people named sinners. I mean, it's crazy as you read this. The religious world kind of made it that way. And Jesus clearly, clearly loved, accepted, and hung out with all kinds of sinners. And it seems that he constantly was seeking out connection with, not separation from sinners. That's how he lived. That's who he was. Some examples, I'll just kind of list them, and then we'll focus in on one amazing example. But some examples, there, there was this one woman who's known as the Samaritan woman that Jesus met with. Now, Samaritans were hated by Jews. And the reason they were hated by Jews is because they had diluted the Jewish faith. They had kind of intermarried and diluted and made it all this other stuff. And so they were sort of half-breeds. They, they didn't have the right faith. It was an unclean, 
people and unclean religion. So, so they hated them. They didn't want to be with them. They didn't want to be in the vicinity of them. They were Samaritans. And then Jesus meets a Samaritan. But not only a Samaritan, this woman was divorced five times and was living with the man who was not her husband now, which was clearly very frowned upon by the people of that day. So she was kind of the bottom of the rung Samaritan that even Jesus' own disciples, like the good guys, the own disciples, when they saw Jesus was talking with her, they were like, what on earth is he doing? Why is he with her? You know how Jesus responded to her? He loved her. He welcomed her. He pursued her. He treated her kindly, lovingly, respectfully. That's how he treated her. Everybody else pushed her aside. Jesus loved her. Another group, I kind of mentioned the sinners, but there wasn't only the sinners, there was also like a, a worse group in their, in their world. There was the sinners and then the tax collectors. The reason the tax collectors were worse is because they were also sinners, they just didn't live by the religious laws and everything. And the tax collectors had gone so far that they had betrayed their own people, betrayed their own faith, sided with the enemy, Rome, and was taking taxes from their own brethren, their own people, giving it to Rome and stealing money for themselves off the top. They were hated people hated people, but Jesus seemed to literally seek out time with sinners and tax collectors. So much so that the, the religious leaders asked this in Luke chapter five, verse 30. They said, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? That was a known question being asked about Jesus. And, and he did it so much and he hung out with them so much that the religious leaders of his day who taught the reality that sin separates us from God said this about Jesus in Luke chapter seven, verse 34. This is what they describe Jesus as. Here is a glutton and a drunkard. Jesus was literally hanging out, eating and drinking with these sinners and tax collectors that they called him a glutton and a drunkard. And then, just this is incredible, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. It's incredible because Jesus is God in the flesh. And if you wanna know how God is affected by the sins of others and how does that affect his love for them, here's what, here's what they said. He's a friend of tax collectors and sinners. That doesn't sound like the traditional idea of sin separates you from God. It kind of sounds like the opposite. And that's who Jesus was. And then there's this powerful story, and I wanna kind of hang out with this story a little bit. It's a beautiful, beautiful story. This interaction that Jesus had between a religious leader, he was invited to this religious leader named Simon. He went to his house and had lunch or dinner with this guy, and while he was there, and, and, and we can learn something so powerful from this because there's this religious person and while he's there, this known sinful woman, and it doesn't say this, but it alludes to this very strongly that this woman was probably a known prostitute and, and kind of looked down by every religion, every religious world, kind of, that's kind of the lowest of the low religious people would kind of look at that and go, no. She walks in to this religious leader, this Pharisee's house, Simon, and she walks in and in this moment, I think we can learn so much about sin because she's called a sinful woman. We can learn about sin and God's love because you see this mixture happening and you see what happens, it's incredible. So while he's having dinner with the Simon guy in his house, this woman comes in and out of her own intense feelings of, of probably guilt and shame and being overwhelmed by who she's now beginning to discover who Jesus is and discover, oh my gosh, there's this God who, who, who may love me and there's forgiveness available and he, she walks in and she's so overwhelmed by all of this, so overwhelmed by this forgiveness that she's finding 
And she kneels down in front of him. She's crying. She's washing his feet with his tears. She breaks open this perfume on his feet. It's the scene, and she can't contain herself with what's going on. And so Simon's looking at this, this religious leader, this judge, this person who thinks he's so perfect. And there's this picture of sin and God. (laughs) This picture of sin and God's love. And this is the first thing that Simon kind of happens in this moment. Luke chapter seven, verse 39, it says this. When the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw what was happening, saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, if he could speak on behalf of God, if he, could, if he was from God, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she's a sinner. That's his response. If he knew, if he was from God, he would know who she is and what she's like. In other words, if, if he knew God, he would know she's a sinner, he would know. And if he knew she was a sinner, he wouldn't let her touch him. You know why? Because sin separates from God. That's how I understand God, he would say, and, and, and he should separate himself from sin like I do, would this Pharisee would say. I mean, the picture that most people had was that God would separate himself from sin. But look at what Jesus said, and I love, love, love this line. It's so cool. Verse 40, Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. You would think in that moment, Jesus, this man of God, would tell the sinner something. (laughs) But instead of teaching the known sinner, Jesus teaches the guy who thinks he has no sin. Listen, I think this is massive. I think this is so important for us to understand. So often we're like, God's gonna talk about that. No, 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 it seems like Jesus turns this whole sin separates us from God thing on its head in this moment and he talks to the guy who's righteous, talks to the guy who thinks he's fine, talks to the guy who's judging others and he says, no, 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 I don't have anything to tell her right now. I've got something to tell you. Verse 41 he, tells, he begins to tell him a story. He says this, two people, this is such an important story as well, two people owed money to a certain money lender. Jesus tells the story. One owed him 500 denarii. A denarius was um, a day's wage. So 500 denarii is about 500 days worth of wages. One of them owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. That's an important line in the story. Neither of them could pay the debt they owed. So he forgave both debts. He provided for them. The story doesn't even say that they asked. He just provided for it. Now, which of them, Jesus asks, will love him more? So Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven, right? That would make sense. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? Remember, he said, if he had known what kind of woman, Jesus then says, do you see this woman? I see her. I know her. I know who she is. I see it very, very clearly. I see her. Do you see this woman? And then he says this, I came into your house. You did not even give me water for my feet, which was a customary thing. If you go to a home in that time, dusty roads and everything, you have water to wash your feet and then you can come in. That's just a normal way to treat your guests kindly. He says, I came into your house and you did not even give me water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't even give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, 
Her many sins have been forgiven. As her great love has shown, she is beside herself. She, she's found something amazing. She's so excited. You can see that her many sins have been forgiven. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, <laughs> I can't imagine this moment. Think about it. Your sins are forgiven. And in verse 50, Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now, there's so much in this story, and we can't take too much time looking at all the details, but I want to highlight just a few things. Number one is this. Jesus was clearly unaffected by her sin. I mean, it's so clear. It clearly didn't separate her from him. The Pharisee believed it did. According to the God, he knew she was not welcome. She was not allowed in. She should have stayed outside, separated from them. But according to the God Jesus knows, he allowed her in. And he was not surprised, and he was not disappointed. He wasn't like, whoa. He knew her. He saw her. He understood who she was. He wasn't surprised. He wasn't disappointed. He understood her story. He understood her mess. He understood her struggle. He saw her. He saw her, he knew her, and he looked into her heart, knowing who she was, and he forgave her. It's amazing. Second thing is this. Jesus made it clear that both people in the story had a debt of sin. Both people. The guy just kind of forgot about it. God just kind of went by it, and we'll come back to this in a moment. But Jesus made it very clear that both people in the story, one was referencing her, one was referencing the perfect religious leader. Both people in the story had a debt of sin. Jesus, number third thing is this. Jesus attached, somehow, he attached her faith in him. When he said at the end, he said, your faith has saved you, go in peace. Somehow he attached her faith in him to finding peace in her. And that statement, he said, basically, if you trust me, your faith has saved you. You can live in peace. That somehow Jesus attached faith in him to peace in her. That if we want to find peace in ourselves as we think about our own sin, as our own mess, our own past, our own guilt, our own shame, our own struggle, Jesus taught that it's not by us trying to overcome. I've got to fix, I've got to do, I've got to change. No, it wasn't about overcoming our sin or getting better. It was simply that faith in him allowed peace in her, and that changed everything, which kind of leads to the fourth thing, and this is where I want to camp out a little bit. The fourth thing is this that I noticed, is that what's so interesting is that Jesus did not say the same thing to the Pharisee. He said to her, her many sins, when he talked to him, he even said, her many sins have been forgiven, her many sins, but he didn't say that about his which is interesting. Even though the story that he told clearly showed that there was debt for both, and even though the story showed that there was forgiveness available for both, and even it showed that forgiveness was needed for both, it would seem that something stood in the way for him. And it clearly wasn't sin. I mean, she was the picture of sin, like the worst sin. She was that, and that didn't stand in the way. So what was it that was standing in the way for this religious person to find peace, to find forgiveness? Because he didn't say you found peace. He didn't say you found forgiveness to the guy. So what was standing in the way? And I think what Jesus was saying is he was saying, and he teaches this in other places as well. I think he was saying that 
Self-righteousness, not sin, kept the Pharisee from finding peace. It wasn't sin. Sin's not the problem, it's self-righteousness. And I think that's what he was saying here. Let me, let me see if I can explain this. I think that he was saying that this woman, she had an accurate picture of herself, of her sin, and of her need. I think she had a very true and accurate picture of herself, of her sin, and of her need. And by her actions, she showed that not only did she have a, picture, a good, accurate picture of herself, she also had an accurate picture of God's love. And because she had an accurate picture of herself, she saw herself as sinful. She saw it very clearly. She knew it very intimately. And because she saw herself as that, but she also saw him as loving. She saw herself as sinful. She saw God as loving. She saw Jesus as loving. And because of that, because she had that accurate picture of herself as sinful and God as loving, she found such deep forgiveness, peace, joy, and so much love that she couldn't contain herself. Think about the scene. She was like bawling her eyes out, her hair's all over the place, crying, pouring perfume. They're trying to have dinner here. She's going, oh my gosh, this is what I found. Poof, explodes on the whole place. She couldn't contain herself. Why? The Pharisee's sitting there like this. She's exploding. It's amazing, why? Because she had an accurate picture of herself. She knew who she was, but she, if she only had that picture, it would be despair. But she also had this beautiful picture of who God was, the love of God that overcomes all of it. And she could not contain herself. On the other hand, the religious leader did not have an accurate picture of himself or God's love. He was so self-righteous that he didn't even hear the part of the story that showed that he had a debt owing. He just went by. He was so self-righteous that he didn't even see his own heart. She had an accurate picture. No bones about it. She knew who she was. But because of that, she also could discover the beauty of who he was, the love. The Pharisee, he had no understanding. So self-righteous, didn't even see that he had a debt. Didn't even see his own sin. He didn't even see how unloving, unmerciful, unkind, judgmental he was. It was just such in him. He didn't even see it so self-righteous. And he, as a result, he didn't understand. Oh, he clearly didn't understand God's love either. Then God's love is not affected by our sin at all. Otherwise, he would not have judged that woman, right? So he had an inaccurate picture of himself and an inaccurate picture of God's love. And as a result, he seemed to leave without the joy and peace and forgiveness that Jesus just gave to everyone who was ready to receive it. And it wasn't sin that kept people from receiving it. It was self-righteousness. This is huge. She had an accurate picture of herself and of God's love. He did not have an accurate picture of himself or God's love. His self-righteousness kept him from knowing it. James Bryan Smith explores this idea and he says this, there is only one thing that separates us from God and it's not our sin. It is our self-righteousness. Our self-righteousness does not turn God from us but it turns us from 
God. It is not my sin that moves me away from God. It is my refusal of grace, both for myself and for others. He continues describing this in his own experience, and he says this, the Pharisees had to decide whether to accept that God welcomes sinners and to share in their joy. Sadly, they refused. And then he says this, describing some of the other stories that Jesus told. I am more like the elder brother in the prodigal son story. I am more like the elder brother or the Pharisee in this story than the prodigal son. But God's grace towards sinners is usually not what troubles me, the author says. He says it's God's grace toward me that I sometimes have difficulty with. My earning favor narrative that I have to earn God's favor is so deeply embedded in my theological template that I find God's love difficult. My earning favor is so deeply embedded into me that I find God's love difficult. In other words, here's what I think he's saying. I think he's saying, I have so much muscle memory in me that tells me that my sin, my bad behavior affects God's love for me and how God feels about me. Even though I know theologically it's not true, I have so much muscle memory in me that makes me feel that, that, that every time I mess up, I think God is disappointed in me and looks the other way. Every single time I mess up, I feel like I have to behave my way back into God's love. In other words, my muscle memory teaches me that I think that my sin affects God's love for me. Is what I think this guy's saying. Now listen, please hear me. The God Jesus knows is not like that at all. He's not like that at all. It is very clear that sin does not affect God's love for us at all. And when, like that woman, we have an accurate picture of ourselves and of God's love, we can begin to see why his love is not affected by our sin. And I wanna try and explain this as best I can because um, how does it work that God's love is not affected by our sin? I think she felt it. And I think she felt it because she had an accurate picture of her sin and an accurate picture of God's love. And when we have that accurate picture, you see that his love cannot be affected by our sin. It's incredible. Tim Keller said something once that really helps me kind of put this together and helps me understand this and helps me think about this when I need to and when I bump into my own sin and my own guilt and shame or whatever. Tim Keller says this, that the gospel or the good news of Jesus, the gospel teaches this, that I am more sinful than I ever dared believe. And yet I am more loved than I ever dared hope. That's what the gospel teaches. And I think that's what she understood. I am more sinful, and I'm gonna go deep into this, okay? I am more sinful than I ever dared imagine. If I have an accurate picture of my sin, it's something closer to that. More sinful <laughs> than I ever dared imagine, because I don't like to dare imagine how bad I am, but somehow this woman had that picture, and I think understanding that I am more sinful than I ever did believe, and yet I am more loved than I ever dared hope will help us realize that sin does not affect God's love for us. That woman understood that, and it changed her life, and this is what that religious leader did not understand, and he left without peace. I'm telling you, really understanding, really grasping this idea that, that 
My, I am more sinful than I ever dared believe, and yet I'm more loved than I ever dared hope, will help me understand that my sin, no matter what it is, can never, ever, ever affect God's love for us at all, no matter what. Nobody's sin can affect God's love for them at all. Here is why. Because when I realize that I'm more sinful than I ever dared believe, ever dared believe, that, that the, 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 uh, my own estimation of my sin doesn't even scratch the surface that I can think I'm so bad, so it doesn't even scratch the surface. If you compare my sinfulness to who God is, I mean, it's so far away, the distance from the sun to the earth, it's not even, doesn't even come close. The depth of my self-centeredness, the depth of my pride, the depth of my sin stuck underneath, and I try to show the cool, happy face, and I try to show the nice version of me, and I try to be the nice person, but when I compare myself to a perfect holy, glorious God. The depth of my sin is so deep. In fact, there was another story that Jesus told once. In this story, he said that the guy had 500 denarii debt or 50 denarii debt. There's another story where he doesn't use 500 denarii. He uses basically 60 million denarii. 60 million days of work. We can't pay that debt, but that's the, the, the picture of the depth of our sinfulness as humans. And you're like, how does this help, Justin? We'll get there. But when I understand that I am way more sinful, way more sinful than I ever dared believe, that everything I do has self-centeredness attached to it, Everything has, I do has my own desires, not yours, attached to it. It's all tainted. Uh, Isaiah 64 verse 6 even says this, all of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts, all of our righteous acts, think about the best things you ever do. It says here, all of our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf. And like the wind, our sins sweep us away that I realize even the good things I do are tainted with self-centeredness, pride, and me. Everything, I am more sinful than I ever dared believe. Even the things when I love someone, I find that my love is never truly unconditional and therefore it's not really love, it's really loving myself because I want you to love me back or I want something from in return, or I want you to think I'm awesome or think I'm good, so I'm gonna do stuff. Everything I do, if I truly understand the depth of my own sin, when I compare all of who I am to a perfect God that is 100% unconditionally loving, I fall so far short. I am more sinful than I ever dared believe. Okay, how does that help? Here's how it helps. God knows that. You can't imagine the depth of your sin more than God knows the depth of our sin. He knows it. So in other words, when I mess up, I'm like, oh no, I did a bad thing. He's going, I know. But I, I messed up. Do you think I'm disappointed? Do you think I didn't see that? Do you think, okay, that... The good thing you just did was kind of worse than the bad thing you just did. <laughs> if we understand the depth of our sin compared to a perfect, holy, loving, perfect God, 
then when we mess up, we're not gonna go, oh no, I disappointed him. No, he's gonna go, I see it all. Every last drop, every dark corner, every selfish motivation, every sinful thought, I see it all. And when I understand that I am more sinful than I ever dared believe, and he knows it already, he sees me already, he gets it. When I realize that, that when I'm at my worst, he goes, I know. And when I'm at my best, he sees it all anyway. And then he says, and I love you more than you could ever imagine. In that place, for me, I go, okay. (laughs) He knows it all. And he loves me. And, and, And then it says this in Romans 8 verse 38. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels or demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, nor any height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. He knows everything. You've never hidden anything from him. The things you've hidden from yourself aren't hidden from him. The things I've hidden from myself that I self-righteously try to pretend I'm awesome, he knows better and he still loves us. Nothing, nothing surprises him. Nothing Disappoint, like you have to be expecting something different if you're gonna be disappointed, right? He knows it all and he loves you. And I think this is what this woman discovered. She discovered the depth of her own sin that I'm more sinful than I ever dared believe. And then the, the height of his love that even though I'm more sinful than I ever dared believe, I am more loved than I could ever dare hope. No wonder she couldn't contain herself. And that religious leader, he couldn't see his heart. He didn't know the depths of his own heart and as a result, he couldn't know the the height of God's love because he didn't understand. In his own self-righteous way, he didn't understand. I'm more sinful than I ever dared believe. And yet I'm more loved than I ever dared hope. I'm telling you, if I'm walking around comparing my sin to other people, I don't realize the depth of my own sin. If I'm judging other people, I don't realize the depth of my own sin. But when I do, when I understand, I have an accurate picture of my sin like this woman did, and an accurate picture of his love, it changes everything. She understood that, the fact that she knew this is who I am and this is who he is, allows us to realize, oh my gosh, he already loves me and he already knows. It's not like I'm gonna go, well, let me show you this part. He's like, I know and I love you. The reality is, the reality is that our sin God knows the depth of it. And if we can know it and understand the height of his love, it changes everything. And for her, when she discovered that, she discovered a deep forgiveness, joy, peace that she found and she could not contain herself. And I'm telling you, if we we can have an accurate picture of ourselves, the depth of our own sin and the height of his love, we will understand, oh my gosh, nothing can separate us from his love. So let me, let me ask you the question again. How does our sin affect God's love for us? Well, it's not like he's surprised. 
He knows, he sees it. How does his, our sin affect God's love for us? It doesn't. It doesn't. The other question should rather be this. You know, he knows our sin. The question for us should be, do we know it? Do we know it? Because we're the ones surprised at how bad we are sometimes. He's not. And if we can see ourselves as he sees us, if we can have an accurate picture that he sees us, and this is just crazy to me, that he can see us as sinful as we are and yet so lovingly look at us as well. It's a beautiful thing. I think it's the only thing, the gospel is the only thing that does that. Usually if I'm sinful, I'm out. With the gospel, I'm sinful and loved. I'm more sinful than I ever dared believe and yet I'm more loved than I ever dared hope. The woman found that. She had that accurate picture. That Pharisee did not. So let me ask you, where do you land with that, that picture that Christianity teaches is an accurate picture of you? And of me. Where do we land with that? Because I'm telling you, if we can have that accurate picture, we will know and understand his love like never before. We're more sinful than we ever dared believe, and yet we're more loved than we ever dared hope. So here's, here's the thing. If we can know that, I think that's a true picture of Christianity. I think that's a picture of the gospel. I think that's a picture of me. I think that's a picture of us, and it's a picture of his incredible love. So this week, I want us to... Just take some time to think through that statement, the gospel, that I am more sinful than I ever dared believe, and yet I'm more loved than I ever dared hope. And if you can maybe like write it down, think about this, or just remember this statement and say this at three different times every day this week. I'd like you to say, the good news of Jesus tells me that I'm more sinful than I ever dared believe, yet more loved than I ever dared hope. And here's when I want you to say it. When you wake up, when you go to sleep, and when you mess up. This week, when you do something dumb, when you do something wrong, when you lose your temper, when you sin, I want you to say this to yourself. The good news of Jesus tells me that I am more sinful than I ever dared believe, and yet I am more loved than I ever dared hope. And I'm telling you, I'm telling you, if we can discover that, the beauty, what Jesus said, the one who's been forgiven much, loves much, She was beside herself. As we discover this, I'm sure we will discover a love that God has for us that goes beyond anything we could have ever hoped. That's the beauty of the gospel. And that's the beauty of what Jesus came to do. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you so much that you know us. You know us. We try to hide, we try to impress, we try to prove, we try to earn. You know us, you know us so deeply and you love us so deeply. Would you help this idea land in our hearts and never leave that we are more sinful than we ever did believe? We know that, but we don't have to fall into despair because we are more loved than we ever did hope. Father, I pray that you will help us know that Burn that into our hearts so we can never forget, especially when we mess up, when we feel shame, when we, when we feel like we're disappointing you. Would you help us remember we are more sinful than we ever did believe, and yet we are more loved than we ever did hope. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus, for making this available. In Jesus' name, amen.